Good morning, Arapahoe. My name is Scott Gilliland, and I'm the senior pastor here. And I want to welcome you once again to my home as my family continues to self-quarantine. Uh, last week, one of the members of my family uh, was potentially exposed to COVID. And so uh, until we get our necessary test results back, we are here uh, because we want to take every necessary precaution uh, to help our healthcare workers and frontline workers uh, in the midst of this surge. And so I want you to know that uh, I appreciate your prayers. All of us are feeling fine. No symptoms here. Uh, I want you to know that I'm also praying for you. I know many of you have been in this position before. Maybe you're in this position right now. For those who are in the hospital or recovering from illness, I'm praying for you. We are praying for you and our healthcare workers and frontline workers. My prayers continue for you during this extremely difficult time. Thank you. Now, I got to be honest, I had a different message planned for today. Uh, for many, many weeks now, we've been planning to launch a four-week journey called A Generous Life, which we are still going to introduce today, and you'll hear more about that at the end of my message. It'll be a four-week time of, of us growing closer to God and growing together as the community called Arapaho as we seek God's leading in our financial generosity. But on January the 6th and the days after, as I saw and watched and read so much of the commentary about what took place on our, in our capital, uh, the attempted insurrection, and the way that we have processed that as a community, as a national community since, you know, I, I felt a different kind of message welling up within me uh, that I'd like to share with you today. Because I believe that our faith can be a helpful guide for us, not just in our national discourse, but also as individuals who truly seek to live and love like Jesus in our daily life. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 this morning, the words that you just heard read, and some others as well from this chapter. Um, before we get there, though, I think we need to hear from one of our saints named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., as we remember him well this weekend throughout our country, no doubt he'll be quoted often in many Sunday sermons today. Um, as a spiritual practice for myself, I, I reread the letter from Birmingham Jail, and I encourage you to do the same from time to time. Um, I call it a, a modern epistle, if you will, like the letters we see from Paul written in jail uh, in our own text, sacred text of the Bible. As I reread his letter, I found myself once again convicted in the spirit and inspired by his prophetic words that ring true today as much as ever before. We tend to, in my mind, over-sentimentalize Dr. King's views, and um, specifically around the concepts of peace and love, right? And we tend to trot out his words about um, light overcoming darkness and, and love overcoming hate. And those words are true, but, but that's not all that Dr. King said. We can, at our worst, um, lose the meaning with which Dr. King intended those words. We can, at our worst, skip over the parts of his words and his texts and his sermons that might make us a bit uncomfortable or a lot uncomfortable, knowing that his truth pierces our souls today as much as they pierced the souls of those whom he addressed in 1963 when he wrote these words. Today, I believe that we'd be wise to center on one such statement, a statement designed to generate discomfort found in a letter from Birmingham jail. He says this, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the last few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace 
which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Who constantly says, I agree with the goal, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action. Who paternalistically feels that he can set the timetable for another man's freedom. Who lives by the myth of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a more convenient season. Hear this, friends. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from people of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. During and after the events of January the 6th, I heard many leaders, and I should say I heard many white leaders, politicians, public figures, clergy, from every ideological or political persuasion, including the president-elect, offering up a similar statement and sentiment intended to give some hope or healing. It sounded like this. Did you hear these words? This is not who we are. This is not who we are. And yet in that statement, as comforting or as inspiring as it may feel to hear and to say, when examined more closely, especially in the light of our faith, it may prove to prevent the healing that we so desire. In order to explain, I want to talk to you about my daughter's Explorer Kit. Hi, everyone. I'm here to show you my Explorer Kit. Yeah, well, tell, tell us about it, Andy. So here's my Nutsy Cuts better butterflies. Yeah, and what else? I got a book to read. Cool Ooh, very cool. I got this. Neat, so you can take specimens. This. Ooh, you can put bugs in there? Yeah. Whoa. And there's What's that on top? It's a magnifying glass so that you can see good. So you can see stuff up closer? Yeah. Now, Andy, that stuff is all pretty cool and everything. You know your daddy's quite the naturalist, right? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the outdoorsy type, if you can't tell by my rugged appearance. Um, like, for instance, you know what this is? Yeah. It's a tree. Yeah. You know you know how we know that? Because it's... Because, that's the, it, because of the way it is. Yeah. You just, it's a tree. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Now, all jokes aside, I'm not a naturalist, right? Clearly, I, I wear vans when I go on a hike. <laughs> um, I couldn't tell you the first thing about how to identify trees, but people who know what they're talking about can look at what a tree produces, right? The leaves, the nuts, the fruit, and they could tell you exactly what kind of tree it is that you have before you. Jesus makes a similar connection when talking about our faith in the context of chapter 7 in the Gospel of Matthew. This is a chapter where he's addressing themes like accountability and judgment, but also the connection between our faith and our actions. And what's swirling around within this chapter is this overriding question, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? Now, I think in 21st century Christianity, especially American Christianity, we can greatly misunderstand this concept because we really greatly misunderstand one of the key teachings of the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul I talked about just a moment ago. He's kind of like Dr. King. He would write letters all the time, sometimes letters from prison as well. One of the letters that he did write was called the letter to the Ephesians. And within it is this single line, these two verses that have impacted our theology so greatly. It says, he says this, For 
by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, he says. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, obviously, Paul hits the nail on the head. I'm not about to argue that it's our actions that save us. I'm willing to bet if you grew up in the church, especially in an evangelical setting, you heard uh, saved by faith, not by works over and over and over again. And yes, yes, we're saved by faith. Yes, just like Paul says, salvation is not something that we work hard enough to earn. It is a gift freely given by God to those who share in the faith of Christ. But we can take these two verses, this one liner of Paul's too far, and begin to define faith as like magical thinking or, or saying the right things about Jesus. It's, it's walking down in front of the church and answering the questions the right way. That's what faith is. When that's not at all. Is that really what Jesus intended for faith to mean? What belief was all about? Jesus says this. You know a tree by its fruit. In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. You know them by their fruits, Jesus says. It's, it's like this deductive reasoning applied to our faith. You know, if, if you want to know what someone believes, Jesus says, look at what they do. Don't just listen to what they say. Look at what they do. It's not our actions that save us, No. That leads towards a theology of exhaustion and judgment and far less grace than God makes available to ourselves and to others. But Jesus says this, and don't miss this, our actions can reveal the state of our faith. Our actions can reveal the state of our faith. If you want to know the kind of faith that a person has, look at what they do. He's talking about this in the context of false prophets, and Lord knows that couldn't apply today, could it? He says, if you want to look at someone's faith, if you want to see what they believe in, including yourself, look at what they do, and that could tell you a lot. But it goes even further than that. There's, there's this word poyeo, poyeo, not paella. That's a delicious dish uh, that I can't make, but I love to eat. Poyeo, it's a Greek word, and it gets translated in multiple ways throughout chapter 7. It, we see it in the passage as the word bears. When, when Jesus says, you should, when he says, uh, you can tell a tree by the fruit that it bears, it poyeos. We also see it in the words that come just before this passage where, where Jesus says, in everything you do, do to others as you would have them do to you. Poyeo others as you would have them poyeo you. It, it also shows up in the passage following what we just read where he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will, poyeos, the will of my Father in heaven. This word poyeo shows up time and time again throughout chapter 7. It's, it's clearly a key to understanding what Jesus means by believe. Poyeo is this Greek word that most essentially means to do. But as you can tell, it can be used in many different ways. It's an adaptive word. And what's most important for us today is that throughout chapter 7, where Jesus is talking about examining the state of our faith, poyeo is used in the present tense. It's that grammatical tense that means now and ongoing, the present tense. That's important because it implies that these are not actions that are in our past. It's not in the rearview mirror. It's rather what is happening now and ongoing. So Jesus says, continue to treat, continue to treat your neighbor as you wish for them to continue treating you. He says, look to what the tree is right now producing. Look at what the tree is bearing today and you'll know what kind of tree that it is. 
This is not just about the singular big moments in our faith. It, it's, a li- it's the little consistent moments that help us understand how our faith truly is. Jesus is confronting us when we praise God on Sunday morning and then live as though God does not exist the rest of our week. When we make a great display of compassion in a moment of generosity, but then fail to live generously and increase in compassion in our day-to-day life. When we believe the lie that our past is what defines us, for better or for worse. It's the present, Jesus says. It's the moment. It's the, what are you doing right now, right here with what's right before you? That is what can reveal so much. And so in the aftermath of January 6th, when we say, this is not who we are, we need to keep in mind that such a statement is only half true. Because It is true that this is the land of reconstruction and and women's suffrage and, and civil rights and marriage equality. And ours is the story, on the one hand, the story of continuing to extend life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness to more and more people who call this land home. But this is also the land of slavery and of civil war and of Jim Crow, and of the Tulsa bombings, and of Stonewall, and of Trayvon Martin, and George Floyd. And ours is also the story of wrestling with deep-seated racism, and white supremacy, and violent injustice. So this is not who we are, is true and also not true. At its best, it's an aspirational statement, a beacon like Dr. King's mountaintop dream. But my friends, we are not at the mountaintop yet. You see that? If we are unwilling to see January 6th for what it is, not what it was, but what it is, fruit that we bared and continue to bear as a people, we are falling into the trap that Dr. King warned us about. We will be those people of goodwill who settle for a shallow understanding of what led to the Confederate flag flying in Congress and nooses to be held by white people shouting about taking our nation back and Jesus's name to be proclaimed alongside men wearing Camp Auschwitz shirts. We have to take a long, hard look place this fruit under a microscope and be willing to acknowledge the condition of our tree as a result. Because there's some rot in there that must be addressed if, we, if healing and unity are truly going to be possible. And what about us, right? What role do we have to play in this work? Because while it certainly sounds worthy, it can also sound so overwhelming. And I get that. I keep coming back to this word used in chapter 7, poieo. It's an adaptive word. It can fit so many different times and places and contexts. In verse 22, Jesus says this, on that, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Notice that Jesus is not impressed by big moments of grandeur, prophecy and exorcism and miracles, right? He's more keen on us having a faith that is driven less by power and driven more by poieo, the ongoing, every day, one more step towards the mountaintop kind of love. Poieo love. Christ-like love, just like the love proclaimed by Dr. King, is not some syrupy, sweet, sentimentalized love. Hear me clearly, my friends. It is not a love 
that ignores the rot in the tree so that we can pretend like everything's fine. It's not a love that rushes past diagnosis and surgery and treatment and rehab to claim some lesser version of healing that is more akin to anesthesia. It's a love that sees the bad fruit produced by rot in ourselves as individuals and as a larger connected community. And and it chooses to look closer rather than away, asks the difficult questions of ourselves and others and, and determines what it is that has led us, us, to this moment. Because Poyeo works both ways. What Poyeo sins, ongoing sins, brought you and me to this place to bear this fruit. Part of this work is personal work. And while it can be so easy to only tune into news and social media right now, I would encourage you to, to, to take back some of that time and, and spend it in personal reflection with God through prayer or or scripture, walk around the neighborhood, maybe a talk with a close friend, whatever it looks like to you, consider how you could allow God to reveal your next poyeo work, that next ongoing expression of faith that produces more fruit and less rot in each of us. But this work is also communal work. It's work that we continue, poyeo, we ongoing do this together. Our annual conferences recently announced a new initiative called the Journey Towards Racial Reconciliation. And it's been put together by a multiracial, multi-ethnic group of clergy and lay leaders um, who are going to be helping local churches have this kind of conversation and be about this kind of work. If we say anti-racism is a part of what it means to follow Jesus, then let's not just say, Lord, Lord, but let's put that work into action. I want you to know that Arapahoe has raised our hand and said, we want to be one of those pilot program churches. So we're going to be one of the first churches to, to engage in this work in our annual conference. And Pastor Kathy and myself and other lay leaders here um, will be telling you more about this work in the coming weeks. And if you're interested in this and would like to help us lead this effort, reach out, let me or Pastor Kathy know. We would love to engage you in this work together because this is not just about what we do individually. It's what we do together as a community of Christ here at Arapahoe. My prayer is that AUMC could be a leader in this work. This poyeo, ongoing love of Christ, could continue to convict us and challenge us, inspire us and lead us, not only to greater depths of understanding, but so that we could be not just people of goodwill, but people who bear good fruit in our community and larger world as a people driven by God's justice and mercy and love. I wanna introduce to you a generous life. This is a four week journey that we'll be taking as the people in place called Arapahoe. And as someone who considers this to be your spiritual home, I wanna invite you to participate in this journey with us. Generosity, financial generosity, is ultimately a, a spiritual practice. Jesus preaches and teaches about it abundantly in the gospels because he knows that there are so many messages of scarcity and fear and doubt to be confronted around us and that when we give into those things and treat our financial resources as something to be protected and to be hoarded that we actually rob ourselves of poyeoing of continuing that ongoing work of christ in our lives and the lives of those around us 
Generosity is a way of saying thank you to God for the blessings that we enjoy in this life. And we're gonna be engaging in a spiritual journey together over these next four weeks as we consider the following prayer. God, where do you want me to be in my financial generosity this year? At the core of this journey is something called the giving path. Now, wherever you are in your giving, maybe you've never given before. Maybe you have given once or twice, but are not a regular recurring giver. Maybe you give a percentage of your income and you're working towards a tithe. Or maybe you already give a tithe and you give extravagantly beyond that. Wherever you are, you're somewhere on what we call the giving path. And the goal is not to say, well, you have to give at a certain level or else you're just not a good Christian. You know, the goal is to say, how can I make movement along this path? That's the kind of work that we're gonna be about this next year. So maybe you go from never having given to, to giving for the first time. Maybe you become a recurring giver. Maybe you begin giving on a percentage basis or, or maybe you begin to give a tithe and then above and beyond that. My goal is that, my hope and dream is that wherever you find yourself in this path, you could see that movement towards greater generosity is possible as you continue to prayerfully ask God, where do you want me to be in my giving this year? Our chairs for this campaign are Brian and Jen Brooks. Brian is a member of our leadership board and both he and Jen are tremendous leaders in so many different ways here at Arapaho. And I'm grateful for their catching the vision of generosity and also the vision of what AUMC is to be about over this next year of ministry together. And you'll be hearing more from them in the next few weeks. They, along with 15 other leaders here at Arapaho, individuals and households, have submitted early estimate of giving cards. And you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. And I'm grateful for them. On the one hand, they have estimated over $200,000 of giving to Arapaho this next year. But more importantly, um, they have said that we want to take that next step of movement along the giving path, because that's what this is really about. Ultimately, it's not about the amount that we give, but it's about showing that we want to take a next step towards a greater life of generosity and taking that next step of movement along the giving path. So you'll begin to receive some materials if you haven't already, both in your mailbox and also in your email. You'll be getting a letter from me, a brochure, that shares more about this journey and what it's about, some of the key concepts. You also get a copy of a video introducing this journey. And most importantly, I believe once a week, you'll get seven daily installments um, on Sundays. You'll get seven days worth of a 28 day devotional called A Generous Life. And, and I wanna encourage you to take five minutes out of your morning routine I'm guilty of first thing in the morning, checking my email, sometimes checking my social media. Um, but instead, take five minutes and, and sit with this devotional and reflect and re remember to continue to ask that prayerful question, God, where do you want to be in my giving this next year? Because ultimately, that's the most important piece, that, that we make this a conversation between us and God. If you feel led to give this day, you can do so in three easy ways. You can give online at arapahoumc.org slash donate. You can give via text by the number that you see on the screen and text the word give to that number. You can also give by mailing a check to 1400 West Arapaho Road, Richardson, Texas 75080. So thank you in advance for joining us on this journey of generosity. Thank you for the generosity that not just has happened in the past, but your ongoing, your poyeo expression of faith through your generous giving here at AUMC.